Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. Well, welcome uh, this morning. Uh, today, we're continuing our series on prayer. And uh, this week, um, we're continuing with the subject of distractions. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, there has been a lot of distractions this week. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on and is going on in our lives, in this world, all over the place. And uh, I've, I've been a little consumed with it myself. So just this morning to, to start before we even get into um, our message this morning, I just want to have a time where we can just pray for this world and this country and people who are hurting all over the place and crisis and this time of transition. And um, uh, so I'm just going to have a time of silence. And then I'm going to have, um, they can come on up here, I'm going to have two of my, my young dig friends come up here and, and lead us in prayer. case. Isn't that cool? You can have, God hears us all. That's the coolest thing, man, is, is prayer is so great. It don't matter who you are, how old you are. God can hear you, and he loves you, and he's listening. It's like the coolest thing. But sometimes we're distracted a lot in our lives. A British theologian named Herbert McCabe says this, this is a quote from him, says, People often complain of distractions during prayer. Their minds go wandering off to other things. This is nearly always due to praying for something that you don't really much want. You just think it would be proper and respectable and religious to want it. So you pray high and mildly for big but distant things like peace in Northern Ireland or you pray that your aunt will get better from the flu when in fact you don't really much care about these things. Perhaps you ought to, but you don't. And so your prayer is rapidly invaded by distractions arising from what you really do want. Promotion at work, let's say. Distractions are nearly always real wants breaking in on your prayer for edifying but bogus wants. If you're distracted, trace your distraction back to the real desires it comes from and pray about these. When you are praying for what you really want, you will not be distracted. And this is the most profound thought. People on sinking ships do not complain of distractions during their prayer. 
I know I've been distracted. There's all kinds of distractions. Today we're going to talk about a couple of those. Um, some of them are simple, getting in your head, in your mind. I, you guys can see this. See if you can relate. Okay, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's time to pray. Let's focus and uh, let's close my eyes. Okay, okay, God, are you ready? I'm going uh, to start now. So first, I just want to start with a thank you and uh, just for listening and um, just being there to be a good listener with your uh, all-hearing ears because they, they can hear me and, and you want to listen to me because that's just what I know. So I'm just going to ask for some help. So God, um, just please help. I can't find my keys anywhere and I've lost them can can you just put a, like an idea in my head of where they may be because I'm just really irritated and I just really like to focus on you and just to pray to you and this is just something I really like so just put that thought in my mind where they are I can't see them okay well just just so you know I'd really love to know help me later and and thanks for helping um, and thanks and thank you for my house my house is great and I just have a place to um, sleep and live and, and my family to be did um, did I set up my payment um, I need to I need to look into that and and, and my family uh, thanks for my family and they just love me, and I love them, and, and you gave them to me, and they're just special, and um, you made us in your image, and that's, um, I, I need to, uh, did I call the insurance? Maddie needs to go to the dentist. Her teeth need to be cleaned. Yeah, um, okay. And my dog, I love my dog. He's a good dog, Gus is a good dog, he loves me, and he takes care of us, and um, did, I did I lock the door today? Um, that would not be good. Someone could just take, um, it's Benicia, I don't have to worry. No, you're, um, oh yeah. But you're, I just love you, and you're just, I think about you a lot, and I, I just want to focus on you all the time, and, and I, it just, just makes me happy, like seeing it like, Baby, 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 oh, like baby, 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 no, like baby, baby, oh, I thought you'd always be mine. What? Okay, that was in my head and it's been there all day. Fever, fever. You're not a baby. You're not baby Jesus anymore. That's that's the phone. Oh, I'll be back. I don't know about you guys sometimes, but it's really tough to concentrate. You guys are just clapping because you sing Justin Bieber. Are you a believer? <clears throat> oh, man. All right, let's get serious. <laughs> Distractions. Um, so, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you just wonder and things kind of just cruise around? And you're like, man, I can't even get like a clean thought and concentrate. So the question, the first question that's in your outlines this morning, I want you to think about and you can write down and make your own notes. What would your life look like if you made prayer a focus, like a real focus? 
Would you get to the end and thinking, uh, the end of your life thinking, man, I, I, wonder, I wonder what would be different if I just focused a little bit more. I wonder what that would be like, just a little bit more. You see, right now, it's important what you believe. Because what you believe affects how you live. Vice versa, how you live shows some sort of perception about what you believe. It affects your life. So how, how are you living today? How are you living today? How's life? Is it full of distractions? Now, these could be little piddly distractions like house payment. Did you lock the door? Are the kids brushing their teeth at night? And it could be big, gigantic distractions too, like moral distractions. And those are the, some of the things we're going to talk about today. I believe that God doesn't, he doesn't mess around that much. So I believe that some of you are here today through the Holy Spirit that God might be grabbing you by the nostrils and saying, listen, I know what you believe, but let's talk about how you behave, about how you live, your focus. God wants to pull up a, a little chair today and have a little fireside chat and say, let's knock off all the, how great is our God, unless you're willing to go from what you believe to how you behave and that reflection. A two-way, intentional, life-changing relationship and a focus on that. So we're going to talk about that for a minute through some stories and then we're going to do something kind of cool. So I'm going to pray to start because, man, I get distracted easy and we all need to focus. So God, thank you so much for today and I just ask that you just speak your words through me this morning and just open up each of our hearts just to hear you. And that um, you would just clear all distractions out of our minds, um, just out of this room. Um, Lord, I know that um, when, when you want to be heard, that's when the most noise seems to come. And uh, so, Lord, just quiet. In your name we pray. Amen. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes this in verse 8. He says, For you were once in darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Live your life as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Listen to that. For we were once all in darkness. It's when you're born. That's where you start. There's no other choice. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We have the opportunity to be light in the Lord. And he tells us, live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So the stuff we're going to talk about isn't normal. To live as a children of light. With distractions in this world and stuff that goes on in our life. It is not normal. Some would say, well, yeah, you know, being distracted is pretty normal. It happens to us all. You know, stuff happens. Life happens. Distraction happens. God's telling us, I'm not calling you to be normal. I'm calling you to live as children of light. Okay, how? How do we do that? With focus on me. He lights the path. He's the leader. We've got to focus on getting our directional plans. That's how. Focus. To cut out the distractions. God challenges us to lead a life that are going to make people take a double take. 
Now, I don't know what makes you double take, but I remember a very specific moment I did a double take. I was at like the county fair circus thing, walking around, eating my churro. And um, I, uh, my, my buddy and me, we passed by this, this guy and he was like, come see the woman turn into the gorilla, 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 gorilla. And we're like, what? Oh man, I mean, I've heard of a bearded lady, but not a gorilla. So we like, thought about it for a second. He's like, no, she turns into right before your eyes. Like, all right, I'll throw a quarter at it. Let's do it. Get all excited to walk in there. It's all musty. And this lady's in there like, hey, shaking the thing. And I was ready for it to turn into a gorilla. So I wait. And like noise starts happening. There's like smoking. There's like mirrors and flashbang. Boom, bam, boom. And all of a sudden, there's like a gorilla right there. No joke. And we're like, whoa. No way! It's really cool. We're talking about it. Don't worry. She didn't really turn into a gorilla. We saw her around the back later doing. <laughs> so, totally made us do a double take. We're like, what? I want to go see the lady that turns into a gorilla. It was cool, man. Smoke and lights and mirrors, kids. Don't worry. It didn't really happen. So, what would, you, what would make you do a double take? What would you pay money to go see? Would you pay to go see a guy with two legs? No? That's normal. To see the 16-year-old sleeping with her girlfriend. No, that's pretty normal. To see the man who's looking at pornography. Nope, it's kind of normal. To see the guy that shoplifted from the store. Nah, it's, that's normal. To see the woman having an affair. Hmm, wouldn't pay for that. See the family that's getting into thousands of dollars of debt. No, nope, it's, it's really normal. To see the man who's an alcoholic, no, normal. See the man who's a glutton, yeah, no. Everybody's doing that. That's all normal stuff. What's going to make you do a double take? Pretty normal to say, God, you're so awesome. Lead my life. And to go from, how great is our God, to be distracted to saying, how great is that car? Or, those jeans or that stuff and we get distracted we get distracted really easy we lose our focus and God's saying hey that's normal but I'm calling you to be abnormal I'm calling you to be abnormal and to focus as me to be a child of light here is what's important for us to remember prayer is a discipline if you want to have focus on that, you, it's a discipline. You've got to work at it. For every minute a professional athlete spends actually performing, she or he must spend hours and hours practicing. The ratio of practice to playtime for a typical athlete is like astounding. Any player who's in the sport for the glory of it, it will not last because there's simply too many inglorious hours. I'll give you a prime example. So on my bucket list, I decided... I'm going to run a half marathon. I'm not going to race. just want to complete it. So I have, uh, for the last month, started training. And I added it up. Half marathon is 13.1 miles. So I started adding it up. Uh, how, what, what kind of training that was going to be like for this little four-month training I'm doing. And I'm going to have to run somewhere between 220 to 320 miles to train to run 13 miles and be like, woohoo! I did it. It's insane, but it's a discipline that it takes for you to accomplish your goal. 
You've got to keep working at it. You can't just run out there and all of a sudden have this tremendous focus and be like, yeah, everything's fantastic all the time because I'm awesome. It won't last. Likewise, a professional musician, someone who plays music, will spend countless hours alone, laboriously going over a single piece of music that takes five minutes to play to perfect it, to someday perform it in front of someone. Everything we do that matters in life takes discipline and time. And prayer is no exception. It's not an exception at all. And you've got to constantly work at it. This morning I'm going to talk about a big distraction. About a man named David, a king named David, who had been loved by God since a young age, who had been anointed and chosen to be the king of his people after the exodus from a young age, David and Goliath. He loved God. This was a warrior king who is now king and fights for God, fights for him with disdain for his enemies or anyone who comes up against God. This man is a prayer warrior. He sings most of our psalms in the Bible, loves God. But he too had a moment of distraction. And this is what happens when you lose focus. When you lose focus. It says in 2 Samuel 11. That's where the story comes from. It says, In the spring, when the kings normally went out to war, David sent out Joab, his servants, and all the Israelites. They destroyed the Arminiites and attacked the city of Rahab. But David stayed in Jerusalem. So you need to understand this. For years, armies, for centuries, I said years, centuries, armies, kept their top generals and leaders safe kind of in the rear ranks, but they always usually traveled for them. Where there were short distances involved, um, a lot of times they could actually stay home. And this was the case now is where um, Rahab, the city of Rahab, was only about 40 miles from Jerusalem. So it was very easy for David to go ahead and control the strategy of this war from his house, from his palace, from his home, where they could be sent back and forth um, messengers where he could change strategy um, if necessary, where, where it involves. And we see that in verses 6 and 14. Whatever David's reasoning for staying home this specific time in Jerusalem, it becomes clear that there was more strategy involved. David was a warrior king. The very reason that he wasn't allowed to build a temple for the Lord. Ordinarily, David would have been leading the charge of war, fueled by passion for God and disdain for his enemies. David's place was with his armies. He had a focus. He was this way specifically for a reason, but something was amiss. Perhaps at this time while he stayed home, he'd become weary with battle, or maybe he'd even grown a little soft, surrounded by the wealth and the glories and riches that he had. We don't know for certain, but we do know is that David was in a place of low spiritual vitality. His heart had lost his edge, He was drifting from God. He was letting distractions come in. He had lost focus. People find it hard to understand, and I've said this before, that simply doing nothing is so dangerous for spiritual life and vitality. But it's only a reflection of our normal daily experience. Examples. Relationships fall apart because we don't work at them. A beautiful garden is destroyed because of neglect. A house crumbles around you if you don't maintain it. Many people die prematurely today, not through any accident, but simply neglecting their health. 
ignoring the warning signs, and not making the necessary adjustments. So, David is in this little distraction-filled, unfocused time. David, who loves God and is focused on him all the time, let it slip and put it off to the side. It says in verse 2, David couldn't sleep one evening. Ever had that? So much on your mind, you, you, you can't even sleep. Unfocused, distractions. So he gets out of bed and takes a stroll on the terrace to overlook his kingdom there. There's no indication that David was on the prowl, but you know when your guard is down, the devil's looking for a way to set you up. That's the, that's the best time for him to take advantage of that. So there's this fantastic lady that lives down the street. Her name's Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was going to go out and take a bath in the privacy of her own home. Well, David, as he's wandering around, couldn't sleep, happens to spy and see and notice Bathsheba, how beautiful she is, and she's bathing in her backyard. Now, Bathsheba lived so close there because her husband's name was Uriah. And Uriah was one of David's 30 valiant, his top. And we know this too because he's so close to the palace. That's where the kings, they kept their, their top men closer to them. And he's off fighting this battle right now. And David knew this. So David summoned Bathsheba. Basically, she didn't have a choice. His servants went and picked her up. Brought her to the house. He took her into the bedroom. And he laid with her that night. His distraction, his lack of focus, has now turned into a major problem. He's made big boo-boos. And he's hurt lots of people. I would call this like a royal rape. Bathsheba didn't really have a choice because kings could have whomever they wanted whenever they wanted. It was just kind of how it goes. So now, that's happened. She's gone. He sent her off on her way. He's like backfired up maybe. Days, if weeks, not months. Not sure exactly how long goes by. He may, worry, may, he may have very well forgotten about this whole incident with Bathsheba until she sends word and says, I'm pregnant. Now, this time of lack of focus and distraction is coming back to haunt him. It's a big deal. He didn't have a moment where he lived as a child of light. He says, I'm pregnant. So he schemes and thinks of a plan. I said, this is not good. I need to bring Uriah back. And I can send Uriah home, and he'll go lay with his wife that night, and later on he'll find out she's become pregnant, and he'll think it's his kid. Fantastic. I am clean. I'm out of this. So he decides, call Uriah back from war, and tell him that I need a report of how everything's going. What's going on? Do we need to change our strategy? Everyone's fighting hard. Fantastic. So he does that. Calls him back. Uriah, faithful servant, comes back, gives him a report, and he says, Hey, you go home now. Eat and drink. Spend the night with your wife before you go home. And he sends a gift after him as well. Well, the next day, King David finds out that Uriah, he's focused. He's focused on what he's doing and what he's a part of and the command that God has given him. And he doesn't go home. He ends up sleeping outside with the other servants. So David says, what's the deal with this? This is not good. My plan is not working out. So... He says, uh, I've got to scheme a little more. And first he asks him, uh, hello, why didn't you go home and spend the night with your wife and eat your good food and sleep in your own bed? And Uriah said, how can I go home and sleep in my own bed when my buddies are out there sleeping in a field fighting a war? 
when the temple, when the tabernacle of the Lord is out there, when my general is out there in tents, I'm not going to go home and spend the night with my wife and my family in my own bed. I'll sit here with your other servants and then I'll go home. So David is like, oh no, got to fix this one. So he digs in a little deeper. And that happens sometimes when you get into some distraction or lose your focus. All of a sudden you like say, all right, I've got to get a hold of this one. It happened. It's in my pocket and it just becomes this gigantic mess and it, like a snowball effect. That's what's happening to David. So he says, he does the unthinkable. At this point, the treachery really begins to unfold. He prepares to do this and it's still early in the game and David's thinking, all right, Bathsheba may be, you know, a month, two months, whatever, may be pregnant. So if she can get Uriah out of the, if he can get Uriah out of the picture, this isn't going to happen. The widowed Bathsheba as his wife, he could still quite feasibly cover his sin if he took her as his wife. So first he gives it one more shot. He says, hey, stay one more day here. Come eat and drink with me. And his idea was, I'm going to try to get him to lose focus. I'm going to get him drunk. And then he's going to go home. He's not going to remember what he did. Hey, you're, you're pregnant. It's crazy. So he, gets him, he gives him good food, gets him drunk. Uriah does the same thing. Goes out, doesn't go home, sleeps there. So now David's like, ah, you leave me no choice. At least to him, no choice. He was trying to cover up his sin. And so what he did was the worst of the worst I think you can do is he orders Uriah to be killed out in battle, but he sends that order in the hands of Uriah himself. He says, hey, you're going back to war. Fight valiantly. Take this message to Joab, the general. So he gives him the message, and in this message is basically the descendants of Uriah. It says, Joab, go up where the fighting is the fiercest, in the front of the line. And when you get to the front of the line where it's the fiercest, pull back and let Uriah be struck down. So Uriah took this message. They go into fight. And finally, in verses 16 through 25, it says, Uriah was sent to the front lines where the fighting is the fiercest, and he is killed, along with other soldiers who never have been fighting so close to the city wall. So Joab sends a veiled message to David to confirm the kill. David's response to Joab is quite telling in verse 25. David tells Joab, Don't let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as the other. Joab, don't feel bad. Just keep fighting. But the writer in 2 Samuel very deliberately says this in verse 27. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. When we lose our focus and we try to do our own thing, it displeases the Lord. It doesn't just make him sad and be like, bummer, I wish you'll come back. I'll just wait. It like... It displeases him. It hurts him. It frustrates him. Why? Because we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. That's what sin is. If you, if you want to clearly define sin, it's what hurts God, others, or yourself. If it hurts one of those things, it, it's sin. And that displeases God. Not just makes him sad. It displeases God. See, news of Uriah's death reached David. And he thought he was off the hook. He had safely covered up the sin, but his conscience continued to bother him. He was haunted by it. Why is that? Why did all this happen? 
David was in a dry place, filled with distractions and lack of focus, with whom the God he loved. The problem with dryness is not that something bad happens in prayer, but most people think, well, nothing happens at all. I just feel dry. I just sit there by myself with no sign of the presence of God. This is where we need to understand something very important. Even though we may not feel God's present presence in these lack, times of lack of focus and prayer, God never abandons his children. You may go through times when it feels like God isn't even present, but it's just that, a feeling. God is ever-present in every atom of our being. And if he stopped being with you and pulled out of you, you would cease to exist. You see, you need to remember this, that prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a discipline and it's a relationship. Not an answering machine. A lot of times we get hung up and we get unfocused because we're tired of leaving messages. Just like you call somebody, hello, uh, call me back. Nothing happens, you're calling back. And you're like, okay, I really got to tell you this. And you're just leaving these messages. Focus on hearing the other side of the conversation. It's a relationship. Not just listening, but hearing. There's a difference. You can listen to all the noise that's happening around and the rain and the people and the sniffles and the coughs and the noises in your head and the songs, whatever's distracting you, but hear. That's listening. Hear what God has to say. Prayer expresses a relationship between two persons, one of whom happens to be God. Reality, not flawless technique, is the goal. You don't need an agenda. That's really key to to note. You know, when I have a conversation with my wife or my best friend about stuff that's going on, I don't usually have a list, okay? I needed to talk to you about this. What do you think? And this? No, it just happens. Talk about your day. You talk about what's going on. There's no agenda to it. It just flows because it's a relationship. The same as with God. You don't need an agenda. So what would it look like with focus? Ask yourself that. What would my life look like if I just had a little bit more focus? If I worked on having a little more focus? Because it's not good when you don't. It hurts. David says this in Psalm 32, 3. He records how he felt while he was trying to recover I was trying to cover up a sin. He says, when I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside of me. I moaned all day long. Felt weak inside of him. Moaned all day long. For several months, he tried to, to live with a guilty conscience. See, temptations are going to come. They just are. Distractions are going to come. I know for me, in trying to prepare this message this week and asking God, hey, how do we even talk about this? I have been distracted up the wazoo. Crazy distractions, they will come. We're going to end with this. When temptations come and distractions come, I want you guys to stand on this. And this is David's prayer in Psalm 51, 1 through 7. You guys bow your heads with me. We'll pray this prayer together. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash away all my inequity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you and only you I have sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.